Well, we are continuing in our series. This is the second week in our series, looking at our values as a church. We do this every September, just just a moment to recalibrate and refresh our memory of who we are. And last week, we, we put up our vision a statement, which was this, that we want to be a church who hold out to and hold on to truth. And remember, we said that that's not just any old truth. It's not anything that is true. There are lots of things that are true that are outside of Scripture. But specifically, we want to be a people who hold on to God's word as truth. And we want to hold that out to the world around us. But first, we want to hold it, hold on to it ourselves. We want to ground ourselves. We want to build our lives on the truth of God's words. So we're a people who hold out and hold on to truth. And we want to, people, want to be a people who pursue Transformation, And again, that's not just any old change, any old transformation. It's specifically spiritual transformation. I'm going to see what that looks like uh, this afternoon. And then next week, we're going to look at what it looks like for us to be a missional people, a people who are tangibly present. We don't believe that we just landed in Lark Lane by accident. God has planted us here for the good of this community. He wants us to be salt and light. And he wants the people outside of these doors to know that we are here. He wants the people outside of this doors to understand that, that it is his people who are the hope for his glory. And so we want to be a people who are tangibly present as we've been planted here. So we started off with truth last week and we're moving on this week to seeing what it is for us to be a people of transformation. And kind of underneath that desire for us to be a people of transformation is, is, this, is this kind of construct. We want to pursue transformation in our lives and in others through the formation and multiplication of discipling communities. And you can see more of our values and just those kind of sub-statements on our website there. But let me just read that again. We want to pursue transformation in our lives and in others through the formation and multiplication of discipling communities. We're serious about change here. We don't want to be the same people today as we, we were last year. We want to see each other grow and we're going to see specifically what that growth looks like and, and growth is something that we all experience don't we like even if you're not a believer if you're not a christian you you change and you are changing like we have the gift here at liberty of having a handful of beautiful babies and we get to see change and transformation like so rapid don't we in, in babies and we see it in our little ones at the moment and um as he's got his first teeth coming through and, um, and he's changing every week, week by week. And Elspeth started walking. That's right, or taking her first steps. And we get to see just these rapid changes. Joshua's uh, vocabulary is coming on more and more. He can say more than doggy now. And he can say uh, more of these words. And we're all secretly hoping that they're going to come out in Scouse, aren't we? Uh, and, well, if uh, Ellie has anything to go by, then maybe, maybe there's some hope there. But we see that change in little ones, don't we? And we see it uh, happen rapidly. But we all change as adults, don't we? Like the person in the mirror that you looked at this morning is different to the person. That's the same person, but it looks different to the person that you saw in the mirror this time last year, doesn't it? Like we change. And, you know, just because we're older and the change might be less noticeable, it's still there. Those physical changes are obvious and they're clear, especially when you kind of just look over a season of time. But what about... What about spiritual change? At Liberty, every now and again, we use this phrase that we are embodied souls. That's what we believe as human beings. We're embodied souls. And that is just a phrase that we use to describe how we were created. Like we're not just flesh and bones. 
Like we're not, we're not just here physically. We're here spiritually as well. This, this, this frame, this physical body, the flesh and bones that, that we see and we touch, like, like that's not the, the sum total of who we are. This physical body houses a spiritual life. And folks, that spiritual life matters. It matters a lot. If you think of our physical self, the flesh and bones that we have, they are gradually fading. One day, this body will be placed in a box six feet under. But our spiritual life, that is eternal. And so it matters. When we think about the change that we are experiencing, it matters. It's important to think about, well, how am I changing spiritually? Like, think just for a moment, the amount of care and attention that we give to our, our physical life. Like, hopefully all of us this morning brushed our teeth. Young ones, I'm looking at you. But hopefully we've brushed our teeth and we brush our teeth to make our teeth strong or to keep them strong and to make sure our, our breath smells fresh. We all probably showered or had some sort of cleansing ritual this morning to, to get rid of dirt from the night, sweat from the night to make sure that, that we're clean. We washed our hair if we have it. We brushed our hair. We, we chose probably carefully, some of us more than others, what we're going to wear to church this afternoon. Some of you ladies go the extra mile and you wear makeup, you paint your nails, you do all sorts of uh, different things, but you, you, you consider your physicality. We all do. I think about what we eat. We don't just eat any old thing, do we? Like we, we, we prepare our food, we, we wash it, we cook it, we warm it up and think of those of us who exercise, like we take care of our bodies, we we put in the hours to make sure that our bodies are fit and healthy. And then all of us this evening, at some point, are going to put our heads on the pillow and we're going to sleep. Because we're tired, but also because our bodies need rest. And they need recovery. And we all invest a lot of time and a lot of money and a lot of energy into this skin and bones, into this physical frame that ultimately is one day going to be put in a box. What about our spiritual life? What about our life that is going to endure past this physical frame? My guess is probably the answer for all of us is that we don't invest half as much time in our spiritual life than what we do in our physical appearance. And maybe that's, maybe that's because firstly, we don't see it. Like when we look in the mirror, like our spiritual life doesn't automatically like occur to us does it like we see what's physical in front of us so maybe we we don't see it maybe we make the mistake of separating out the physical and the spiritual and we think that we're either only one or the other or or we can't be the same thing at the same time and that's just not true the bible says that we are we are embodied souls there is a physical and the spiritual to us so maybe we don't automatically see it but maybe maybe we don't fully realize the value of our spiritual life. We don't appreciate the value of our soul. And actually, we only ultimately invest in the things that we value. And so we don't take the time to invest in our spiritual life because we don't actually value it that much. Like, think about the things that you value in your life and the time that you put towards it. Like, I value Elizabeth, my wife. And so I I pour energy into this relationship. We give time to each other to 
to listen to each other and, and to, to watch each other so we can make sure that, the, that this relationship is growing and it's flourishing. I invest time into this because it, it's valuable to me. Or my kids, Ruthie and Michael, like they're valuable to me. So I invest time and energy and, and I, I put a focus on, on, on their growth because they're valuable. And so I, I you know, take care in, in what they eat and what they watch and what they do with their time because they're valuable. So I invest in them. Some of you have got to invest them with money. Like you don't just, just you know, spend on whatever. Like you invest it in certain places, in certain ways, and, and you watch it and you monitor it and you make sure that you're getting a good return on it because you value that thing. We only invest in what we truly value, but I think there's probably more. We invest in what we value because ultimately we want those things to grow. We want those things to transform. We want those things to become something that they aren't at the moment. So, so think of our marriage. I invest in this relationship. I invest in Elizabeth because I want her to grow. I want her to be able to flourish as the wife that God has called her to be. Or the mother that she's been called to be. So I'll invest time there. And with my kids, I'll invest time there because I want them to grow. I want them to become adults who can live in a world in a way that is good and right. And, and they can flourish in that way. We invest in what we truly value and those things that we invest in, we, we want them to grow. We want them to transform. And when it comes to our spiritual life, folks, there is transformation there is growth to be had there too. Except we're not talking about growing into, into something great. The transformation in our spiritual lives is far more spectacular. The Apostle Paul, who we're going to see of his conversion in Acts 9 in a minute, he describes Christian transformation like this. It'll come up on the screen here from his second letter to the Corinthians. Chapter 3 says this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image. So, so the image of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, we are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Here's what he's just said. Spiritual transformation in the Christian isn't about, it, it's not about becoming greater. It's not about becoming stronger necessarily. It's not about becoming more connected to the universe or more connected to yourself. That's what you'll be told outside. It's not, a, it's not about becoming a better version of yourself. Spiritual transformation in the Christian life is about becoming more like Jesus. That's the goal. To become more like him. To be on a, on a continual growth of, of becoming more like him, a growth in his likeness. And let's just pause and just consider for a moment why we would want to, why we'd want to engage with that. Like, why would you want to grow into the likeness of Jesus? Well, firstly, remember, we invest in what we value. And let me tell you, there is nothing more lovely, nothing more worthy in the universe than Jesus. And so to give your life over to, to growing into his likeness, like, like there is nothing greater than you could invest your time in. Nothing greater than you could invest your energy into. He is perfect in every way, in his conduct, in his character, in his being. And so if we invest in what we value, then invest in your life to follow and to become more like Jesus 
is a valuable investment to make, folks. Second, this continual transformation into Christ-likeness, it's a mark of being a Christian. It's a mark of being a true Christian. So, so being transformed, being, 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 being made to be more like Jesus, like, like at our moments of salvation, that's where the transformation begins. At the moment we are saved, the Holy Spirit gives us new hearts. He regenerates us. And as he gives us new hearts, we're able to, to put our faith in Jesus and, and specifically put our faith in the truth that he is, he is our Lord and our Savior. To put our faith in, in the finished work of the cross. To put our faith in the, in the truth that Jesus has made a way for us to be saved from our sins and for us to enter an, into an eternal life with him. The Holy Spirit gives us those new hearts. And at that point, at that moment of salvation, we are declared in the presence of the Father, holy, blameless, righteous. Because as we are saved, Jesus takes on the penalty for our sin and he gives us his righteousness. He clothes us in his perfect righteousness. And so we are presented positionally before the Father as right and holy. And good because we are found in Jesus who is all of those things. We are declared holy at the moment of our salvation and therefore we are welcome into the home of God. We are welcome into his presence. We are welcome into his family as his sons and his daughters. And that is only possible through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way, no other way. The only way we come to the presence of God is through the finished work of the cross. So there, there is that, that, that instantaneous transformation, that, 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 that moment where we are made holy in our salvation, but then for the rest of our life, we are progressively being transformed. Progressively being transformed by, by putting away our, our old life, putting that to death and becoming who we are. Becoming those holy people. Becoming those righteous people that we have been declared that we are. And so we should want to become more like Jesus because it is a mark of who we are. It's a mark of being a Christian. And then thirdly, folks, a growth in Christ-likeness, it's what we were created for. In Genesis chapter 1, we see the blueprint for humanity. Uh, you know, the, the, the way that we were made. And, and if you find what you are made for, you kind of slip into the groove of contentment. Like if I understand what I've been made for, I'm able to do that thing and I'm able to be ultimately content and satisfied. I'm able to find joy in actually fulfilling my purpose. And in Genesis 1, we're told that humanity is made in the image of God, in the image of our creator. We're made in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our role, our purpose is to bear his image and sin distorts that, sin fractures that. But through our salvation, through the finished work of the cross, we are able to enter into a gradual transformation of becoming like Christ in our conduct and in our character. So we should want to, because it's a valuable investment. We should want to, because it's a mark of being a Christian. We should want to, because that is what we were created for. The question for us this afternoon is, what does it look like? What does it look like for us to grow in Christ-likeness? What does it look like for us to be a people of transformation, a people who are becoming less and less like our old sinful selves and more and more like Jesus? What does it look like and how can we encourage that work? Well, here we come to Acts chapter 9.
I'm just going to read uh, just the first half of the chapter two, just to give us some context, because context is really helpful for us here. We're going to read of the Apostle Paul's conversion. He's called Saul in, in this passage here, but we're talking about the same guy. And in the lead up to Acts chapter nine, we see the church has been growing. So at the start of the book of Acts, we see the Lord Jesus Christ ascend to be with the Father. And the church grows in Jerusalem. And it's, it's really just grown under the heavy hand of persecution. And in Acts chapter 7, we see the significant moment where Stephen, he's standing up giving the sermon of his life. And then the religious lead, leaders are listening and they get outraged at what he's saying. And they pick up rocks and stone him to death. And there's an important footnote at the side is Saul, Paul. And he is holding the coats of the men who stone Stephen to death. He is standing in, in agreement with what, with what they're doing. And, and after we get um, to Acts chapter 8, we see that really the disciples get troubled and so they scatter. And they move out from Jerusalem. And in Acts chapter 8, we find Philip. Philip preaches the gospel to an Ethiopian eunuch and and he's saved, and then he goes to a place called Azotus, and again, he preaches the gospel. And remember last week, we talked about the gospel being the true testimony of Jesus. Under this persecution, it's spreading, and then we come, we come to Saul, Paul, in Acts chapter 9. Let me read from verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. So that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go. For he is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me to you. that You may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. And he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. What does it look like for us to pursue spiritual transformation in our lives and, and in others? We see in, in Saul's conversion, in Paul's conversion here in Acts chapter 9, 
We see that it it is fueled by the word and the spirit in the context of community. Our spiritual transformation, our our growing in Christ likeness, it is a work that is fueled by the word and the spirit in the context of community. And there is no other way. There is no other way for us to see that transformation in our lives. If you want to grow in Christ likeness, if you want to see this transformation that is really going to, going to last into eternity, then it's going to be through a ministry of the Spirit and the Word in the context of community. It always will be. So see first the Word and the Spirit at work in Paul's transformation. Saul, Paul, he, he's an enemy of God. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like he, he, is, he is opposed, stood opposed to God and, and, and the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in these first few verses... He is arrested. He is stopped in his tracks literally by the words of Jesus. Like we get to have the words of Jesus here in front of us. He heard them audibly. The literal words of Jesus in verse 4. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He hears the words of Jesus and that begins the transformation in his life. And folks, it's the same with us. Our spiritual transformation, our growth in Christ likeness always comes through an encounter with Jesus. In his word. It starts in here. Our salvation, that initial transformation from from darkness into light, from death into life. It starts in here as we encounter the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it continues in here. It continues in his word. And let me say this. A Christian who is not listening to Jesus is a Christian who isn't growing. They can't. Like It is always the way that we grow. It's through his words, through his word. Like just think of, of think of, of children, just how they grow. And like this works very well with Micah. If you know Micah, my son, you know that, that he looks quite like me. Like we, we bear a similar resemblance. And and you see the physical similarities. Like you talk to my mum and dad and they will tell you, like it is like I have been reborn. Like his personality is just like mine. Like he just he, he does the same naughty things and he has the same temperament, this exactly the same personality. And that, folks, is primarily because, because he's with me. Like, I am the primary voice in my son's life. Like, he hears my voice more than anyone else. And so he grows like me, good and bad, unfortunately. But then as children grow older, as they hear more voices in the world, as more people have input into their lives, they become less and less like their fathers. As that predominant voice fades and other voices increase in volume they become less and less like their fathers and their mothers folks if we want to grow like jesus we need to listen to him like his voice needs to be the predominant voice in our lives we need to stay close to him we need to look to him and we need to hear his voice over any other voice in our lives I listen to this quote here from Robert Murray McShane. I've used this before and I'll probably use it many times again. It's so good. Listen to what he says. Learn much of the Lord Jesus. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. He is altogether lovely. Such infinite majesty and yet such meekness and grace. And all for sinners, even the chief. Live much in the smiles of God. Bask in his beams. Feel his all-seeing eyes settled on you in love and rest in his almighty arms. Let your soul be filled with a heart-ravishing sense of the sweetness and excellency of Christ and all that is in him. Let the Holy Spirit fill every chamber of your heart and so there will be no room for folly 
or the world or Satan or the flesh. For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. That's a good word. I think the default for most of us folks, if we're looking to like change something and transform and grow, I think the default for most of us is probably the other way around. Actually, for for every look at Christ, we're taking 10 looks at ourselves. We're like like searching the depths of our hearts and looking in our own lives for wisdom and and for a source of strength and and change right now. No, our bias should always be towards him. It should be heavily skewed towards looking to him, listening to him, daily encountering him in his word. And remember, folks, this isn't just about seeing a change and a growth and a transformation in ourselves. As a church, we want to seek that in other people's lives as well. And so if it comes through listening to the words of Christ, can I encourage you, do that yourself, but encourage others to do it. Encourage others like in in our church family, encourage them to listen to these sweet words of the Lord Jesus Christ daily. And when you see them struggling, get alongside them and encourage them. Don't tell them off, don't beat them up. Sit down and read with them. Read for them. Use our different WhatsApp groups that we have just to soak them in the word if you can. We take this responsibility for ourselves and we carry it for others. So listen to Jesus and Follow the Spirit. The Spirit of God works through the words of Jesus to transform us, to make us more like him. See, in Acts chapter 9, the Lord sends Ananias to Paul. And and when Ananias finds Paul, he finds him blind. He's unable to see until Ananias prays for him. And in verse 17, he says this, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. As Saul, Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, he's able to see. And what happens next is a miraculous transformation in his life. In verse 18, he's baptized. And then he goes into Damascus, goes into the city, and he begins to preach the gospel. Like That's miraculous. Like Just think about what, what he was about to do. Like he was journeying into Damascus to see Christians jailed, to oppose the church, to stand against the gospel. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. He hears the words of Jesus. He is filled with the spirit. And like, it's a 180. He goes into this city and he preaches the gospel. The very thing that he was so determined to shut down. It is a miraculous transformation but it shouldn't be unexpected see the ministry of the spirit in the world is the in the word is the most powerful agent of transformation the ministry of the spirit in the word as as the holy spirit illuminates truth to us as we listen to the words of jesus like the word and the spirit are the most powerful agents of transformation in our lives And they are always working to transform us more and more and more into the glorious likeness of Jesus. And so, folks, listen to Jesus and follow the Spirit. As you encounter difficult truths, difficult commands in the Scriptures here, don't just tap out, follow the Spirit. The the, the wisdom that is given in the world, the default advice that we are given, is is to follow our heart. 
Like if we want to see change in our lives, if we want to see transformation, if we want to move things around in our lives, then, then outside these doors, that's what you'll hear. Follow your heart. Like search the depths of your heart. Know, know what it is that you really want. Like follow whatever it is that feels good. Just submit to your feelings. They are your source of truth. Listen to your heart. And folks, that is, that is a lovely sentiment, but it is terrible advice. Terrible advice to follow your heart. God's word tells us this in Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things <laughs> and desperately sick. Don't follow your heart. And if you want to take that kind of route, following your heart is like, you, know, you go to a party with your friend and he sits there and has 15 pints. And then you give him the keys to your car and say, you drive me home. That's what following your heart is going to get you guys. You know, that, that guy's going to end up probably with you wrapped around a tree or in hospital. It's not good advice. Don't follow your heart, follow the Spirit. As you listen to the words of Jesus, follow the Spirit. And if you want to know what that looks like, it's as simple as opening the Word and asking the Spirit to guide you, to lead you, to transform you. And just like with Saul, we can expect miraculous transformation in our Christ-likeness. When we listen to the words of Jesus and follow the Spirit, we can expect a miraculous transformation in our Christ-likeness. And that is great news for those of us who are trying to shake off sin and put sin to death. Or for those of us who are trying to grow in a particular area of righteousness. Or, as we'll see next week, for those of us who are praying for unbelievers. The Word and the Spirit are able to bring about miraculous transformation in our lives and in the lives of others. So folks, immerse yourself in the words of Jesus and follow his spirit as he leads you to change and encourage others in that as well. And finally, pursue that transformation in the context of community. In Saul's situation here, in his conversion, he has this spirit-filled encounter with Jesus and then immediately Ananias is sent to him. Saul isn't left on his own. And then in verse 19, Saul spends time with the disciples in Damascus. And then when his life is in danger in verse 25, as you read on, those disciples care for him and protect him. And then in verse 27, Barnabas is sent to help settle him into the church in Jerusalem. And then in verse 31, the church, the the community of God's people is built up and strengthened through Saul Paul's testimony. Saul's growth in Christ's likeness is always in the context of Christian community. It's always in the context of God's people, and it's the same with us folks. And Christian community, it isn't refined, it isn't glamorous, it isn't, it isn't all neat and put together. Like, like that isn't us as a church. If you're visiting us hoping to find that, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but that isn't what you're gonna get here. It's messy. And it feels heavy at times. Like when Paul arrives in Jerusalem, they don't kind of open him, uh, welcome him in with open arms, do they? They're terrified. They know who he is. Ananias knows who he is. They're terrified. I don't think they want him there. Like it takes Barnabas to to kind of soothe the, the situation and help him in. Christian community isn't easy, folks, but it is necessary. Your growth will be stunted without it. And when we think about Christian, Christian community, don't just think of this. 
as in like us coming together on a Sunday afternoon. Like our, our Sundays are important and they're helpful, but if we're honest, they're difficult, <laughs> particularly if you've got kids. They're difficult places to experience the fullness of Christian community. Sunday afternoons are busy. Some people are serving. We've got our eye on the kids. We're watching the clock. We're watching our coffee on the floor, making sure it doesn't spill. Like, Sundays are great. But we're not going to get all that we need as we want to grow into Christ-likeness here. Folks, as a church, our gospel communities are where we're going to see real transformation. We have four gospel communities which gather geographically across the area. And this is an opportunity for us to gather in smaller groups and gather specifically to disciple one another. We do that through the week around meals and around coffee and around walks and around times on each other's couches. And we gather to pray, we gather to study, we gather to encourage one another, to support each other, to care for one another. And if you're not part of one of our gospel communities, then then I'd urge you, like, get connected. Come and have a chat with me later on. And if you are already part of a gospel community, well, September is a great opportunity to refresh your participation and to see that, that these places are where we, we pursue our growth, but they're also the places where we pursue the growth of others. It's not just about us. See, in verse 31, at the end of this encounter of Saul's conversion, we read a bit of a summary statement on Paul's testimony, and this is what we read. The church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. See, Ananias, Barnabas, and the other disciples, as they're in Jerusalem, they they pursue Paul's growth. Like, they want to see Paul grow in his Christ-likeness. Paul isn't a passenger. He doesn't just sit there and receive. He's encouraging the growth of others. They're built up. They're given peace. They're able to walk in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit because of what the Lord is doing through Paul. And so as we close, folks, hear that call. Your participation in the body of Christ, your participation in the church is never just about you. As Jesus works on your life, as he shapes you, as he grows you through his word by the power of the spirit to be more like him, you have a privileged responsibility to pursue that work in others' lives as well. To look out for others when they're struggling. To encourage them with the word. To ask them tricky questions to carry their burdens. It's not just about us. It's about this body that we've been brought into. Friends, you being here is good for you. It's also good for me. It's good for everyone else as well. You see, the Christian life, it is a continual transformation into the glorious image of Jesus. We need his word, we need his spirit, and we need one another. So can I encourage you to press into each of those this week? Listen to the words of Jesus in his word. Follow his spirit and press into community. We're going to stand and sing, and as we do, we're going to remind each other that this life, this transformed life, it comes to us only through the blood of Jesus, through the finished work of the cross. We have, we have nothing good to present to God in, in and of our own self. We have no good works. We have no righteousness. We have no 
No way of reaching our eternal home except through the finished work of the cross. He is our hope. He is our peace. So can we stand together, folks? I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and then we're going to take some time to share this meal together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, thank you for the word that we've gathered around this afternoon. Thank you that it is true. Thank you for the promise of transformation and growth in all of your people. We recognize that, that this will come through the word. It will come through the spirit. But we thank you that you have made a way for us to be right before you. Thank you, Jesus, for the cross. We thank you for your blood, which was shed for us. Thank you that your people have been purchased by it, cleansed by it and saved. And Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit, each testifying and guiding us to truth. Help us to follow this week. Help us to listen to you and to follow your spirit. And Holy Spirit, as we lean on you, Help us to have eyes for others, to see where there is hurt in this body, to see where there is cause for joy, where there is cause for sorrow. Help us to pursue one another and to do that for your glory. We love you, Jesus. We pray these things in your name and again for your glory.